New look for the Swarmcast. A big, big thank you to 24-7 Sports for significantly upgrading our graphics and everything else going forward. I know Sean Bach and myself are very excited about, I want to say a new era, Sean, but just kind of more multimedia-based content moving forward. I know that's something you're passionate about, something I've been very passionate about as well. And I'm happy that we have the resources that 24-7 has provided us to really make this thing a big deal going forward, but we are back in a lot to digest. Sean, I know, you know, we haven't been on the podcast for a few weeks. As you can see, we've been upgrading. There's a lot to get into. This Iowa team just continues to, I would say, be one of the more interesting stories in the college football world at this point. Yeah, I mean, you look back a couple of weeks ago, Kate McNamara going down. Everyone thought at that point the season might be you know, thrown for a loop. And obviously Iowa still has an elite defense, elite special teams, and the recipe that they had for success last season. But, I mean, all the storylines going into this year were Cade McNamara, how much would these transfers really make an impact? And it's really surprising. To, I, I wouldn't say really surprising, but it's really fascinating to see how kind of this tide has turned with some of these transfers. Because, I mean, I think if people would – if you would have said that Granted, Eric All got hurt against Wisconsin last week. If you would have said, hey, Kay McMara is out for the rest of the season, Eric All is out for the rest of the season, Luke Lachey is out for likely the rest of the season, um, Caleb Brown only has, you know, 10 snaps on the year or something along those lines, people would have been like, okay, this season is absolute disaster. Iowa is 6-1. and one. That is amazing to think about. <laughs> Kuda, I mean, we're going to talk about it later on in the podcast, but it's really incredible. And I mean, it's it goes back to the to the mantra: just win, baby. That's that's all that matters. Just win, just win football games. And Iowa has found a way to do that. Granted, you know, I know a lot of people are going to knock knock the schedule that Iowa has, but you play the teams that you're given. You play the teams that are on your schedule, and Iowa has found a way outside of that Penn State game to win win every game so far. And I mean, that game last week against Wisconsin was was a uh, prime example of that. And I would also throw in Jazz and Patterson missing most of the season as well. I mean, he really hasn't yeah, played Caleb since Johnson. post-Iowa State. Caleb Johnson's now back in the swing of things. Jazz and Patterson is expected to play on Saturday as well. And as you mentioned, Luke Lachey goes down, right? Uh, Noah Shannon still suspended by the NCAA, although I think we could see him back after the bye week. This – it's just such an interesting year, and we're going to get into it later. I know how much it's upsetting the national media. It's upsetting the casual football fan because Iowa is far from the sexiest team that's ever played college football, but they're in full control right now, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how this week goes against Minnesota, but it's about to be one of those discussions, Sean, where I don't know if you remember, back in 2015, there was a viral video that went around. I think it was the end of October, and it was it's time to talk to your kids about an undefeated Iowa, and it was like a parody video. It was really, really funny. I think it was done by an Auburn or an Alabama fan. It might be time to talk to your friends and family in the college football world about an 11-1 Iowa team going to Indianapolis and playing either Ohio State, a rematch against Penn State, or Michigan. But, you know, I think something that's been overlooked storyline is something that my Friday column is going to really focus in on, Sean. The leadership of this team has to be among the best in the Kirk Ferentz era because you think about all the injuries that have happened. You think about how terrible the offense is. I mean, do we really need to go into it? They're dead last in almost every category in the FBS, right? Only power five team that has under 300 yards a game. And total yards, five of their wins, they've had under 300 yards. They're 6-0 and when they score points and put points on the board. But – the leadership of this team, you could not tell that there'd be any separation. Cooper DeGene said, I love Iowa football. If people don't like it, nobody in the locker room cares. There's a clear unity in the group, and I think that goes to Cade McNamara. I think it goes to Eric All. I think it goes to Jay Higgins, who I think is an under-the-radar All-American candidate. 87 tackles on the season. And Joe Evans. I think Joe Evans has done a really outstanding job, and a point I wanted to make about this, Sean, remember going into Purdue, Iowa's defense was ranked last in the country in sacks. 
So on top of all the injuries, Iowa's not getting to the quarterback. And I love the defensive line personnel. I know you were a big fan of it as well. And we talked to Kelvin Bell on Wednesday, and he was asked about that players-only meeting. And Kelvin Bell said he heard about it the following week. But just hours before the players-only meeting, Kelvin Bell said it was one of the worst Friday practices he's ever seen Iowa group have. There were about four or five offsides. Nobody is focused. He called it absolutely horrid. And then Joe Evans calls that players-only meeting and leads that group. So the leadership of this team, I think it speaks volumes to the fact that we're even talking about them potentially winning the Big Ten West. Yeah, it's a huge it's a huge kudos. And, I mean, getting those six-year seniors back was so important too. I mean, you don't totally see the production on the field from Nico Regani in the last couple of games. I mean, his stat line is not what people have expected it to be, but – He's been a leader in that room and in the wide receiver room. And I know a lot of people are kind of frustrated about their wide receivers and not getting the targets that maybe they were intended to get, or maybe a lot of people talked about this off season, but just to have those leaders all across the board and to get those six year, fifth year guys. I mean, Jay Higgins too, this is his first year. Yeah, I know he started last year a little bit, but this is his first year as a primary starter. And he has played his way potentially to all Big Ten contention. But not only that, he's just a big voice in that locker room, too. Um, Luke Lachey, I mean, injured, but he's still been a vocal guy in that locker room. There's so many elements that go into it. And I think why this – I mean, obviously the contract extension to Brian Ferentz, the amendments that were put in this offseason has been a major talking point. But all offseason, man, you just heard about offense, offense, offense. This offense is going to turn things around. Kay McNamara is going to turn things around. The first play or the first drive of the game, the first big passing play of the season is that touchdown pass from Kay McNamara to Seth Anderson. Two transfers that Iowa went after in the in the portal this offseason. Yep. And I remember I was turning, I turned to a couple of the TV people on the sidelines and I was like, we're in for something this year. Like this is this is gonna <laughs> be, this is gonna be, this is gonna be, this is what offense looks like. And just how the tie and against Iowa State, you were like, okay, this this game, you know, Iowa's not going to have the offense that they had against Utah State, at least in the first couple of drives. But obviously, that trend kind of continued. Western Michigan was a bright spot, and but yeah. after that, it's kind of just been like, where's the offense been? But that just goes credit to the defense because if you remember the off season, we always talked about this defense taking a step back, and honestly it seems like it's taken a bit of a step forward from last year. I mean, nothing's going to top that potential of last year's defense, but to see how quickly and just how much Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson have really acquainted with each other. And obviously the defensive line, not having the sack numbers, not having the pressure numbers that it had last year. I think there was one point in the season, it might've been through five games that I counted the defensive line having 26 quarterback hurries, and through 13 games last year, they had 98 quarterback hurries. Granted, most of those were, or a lot of those were by Lucas Van Ness, who's with the Green Bay Packers yeah. now. But that's, I mean, Iowa still returned a decent chunk of their defensive line outside of obviously Noah Shannon being out, um, Van Ness being out or in the NFL too. But that's still like not a great stat. To have, I mean, no. you want to have consistent pressures. You want to be able to get to the quarterback, but I think it also goes to show like some of these plays were being made in space, and some of these plays were, you know, quick hitters that other teams were able to run, and you know, just goes credit to the Iowa defense and that that back uh, the back end of the defense and the linebackers making those plays in space, and obviously it depends on the personnel that the other team is playing and you know, how they kind of, you know, scout the Iowa defensive line, not let them get pressure. But, I mean, now that we've really seen it the last couple of games, it's really been good to see that defensive line pressure pick up. But, like I said, I mean, special teams, we didn't even talk about them. That special teams unit has been special too. And, you know, outside of a few blunders here and there in the Penn State game, it's been been really good all across the board. I mean, Torrey Taylor's got to be first-team All-American. He's got to win the Ray Guy Award. I mean, I'm serious when I say this, Sean. He might be the most undervalued player in America in terms of what he, the, what element he brings to a certain team. Like outside of quarterback, 
but as far as maybe not undervalued, but underrated. I mean, you think about how many times he flipped the field. He's a legitimate weapon. And he, I know everybody talks about Reggie Roby. I know, you know, Kirk Ferentz brings him up at least once or twice a month. Torrey Taylor is getting very close to being the best punter in Iowa history. And I think he needs to be up there for in the best in Big Ten history. His consistency in what he's meant to Iowa is truly unbelievable. And another guy who we need to talk about, Sean, Sebastian Castro. I mean, he's got to be on, you know, a potential All-American, All-Big Ten list as well. That game he just had against Wisconsin, he was doing a little bit of everything. He had that forced fumble, which they end up not calling a fumble. He had the game-sealing interception, seven solo tackles, two for loss, a pass breakup. He's really emerged at that cash position, and it really doesn't matter who Iowa loses at that position at this point. It seems like Iowa's always going to find a way to produce there. But Sebastian's been very, very impressive. And another guy almost along the lines of Jay Higgins, Sean, guys that probably could have transferred and played earlier, decided to wait out, wait for the time to shine, and now they're very, very prominent. And I think back to the defense, too. For the first two weeks, there were a lot of people, I don't want to say clowning Nick Jackson, but they were disappointed what he was bringing. Number one, he was learning the fourth defense that he's had in his five-year career. I mean, he said four defensive coordinators. He got to the campus in June. That's a tall order for anybody. I really think over the past month, he's really, really playing some good football. And I think that's exactly the type of player that Iowa expected, you know, them to bring. Cooper DeGene is still Cooper DeGene. Is not allowed a touchdown in 309 coverage snaps this season. And another interesting stat about this team, Sean, Iowa's ninth in the Big Ten in rushing defense. They've only allowed one rushing touchdown this season. Like, Iowa's bending, but they're not breaking in the run game. As you mentioned, that pass rush, I still like would like to see more consistency. And you mentioned, obviously, special teams. So there's one component that deserves a lot of credit for the reason Iowa's 6-1 and one right now that we have not talked about, and that's the offensive line. The offensive line has given Iowa a chance for explosive run plays. LaShawn Williams, every time it feels like people are counting him out, he comes up with a big play. And, you know, the interior offense line, I think Rusty Feth has been a game changer since he's been inserted at the starting guard spot. Logan Jones had a nice year, no more delayed snaps. Connor Colby, I think, has settled in. But that offensive line, I think George Barnett has saved his job from a lot of critics that he had earlier in the season. But the trajectory of the offensive line over the past three weeks, it's been really impressive to watch, Sean. And without it, they're not sitting at 6-1 and one right now. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, that Penn State game was a bit of a low light for Iowa because you're playing mm-hmm. in a hostile environment. Kirk Ferentz mentioned on Hawk Talk earlier that week that playing tackle in those positions, playing offensive tackle in a really rowdy environment is tough because, I mean, you got to listen to calls, the cadences. Like, it's hard to pick up on that. There's different methods that you have to use to, you know, hear the snap or hear the ball get snapped. Um, and, I mean, Jennings Dunker, too, going to right tackle – that's something that I think now a lot of people talk about too. His adjustment yeah. to that right tackle position has been really fascinating because I think all throughout his career, people talked about guard, guard. He's going to play guard. Um, that's where he's going. That's where he's going to end up. He has allowed seven pass, or he has allowed uh, seven pass or pressures this year per pro, per pro football focus, but. He has a pretty high pass passing block grade, and his run blocking grade is a little bit below 60. But I think that just goes to show that, I mean, some of Iowa's best runs had been off the tackles, been off the tight ends, you know, those uh, outside runs, the stretch plays. But, you know, some of their longest runs have been right through the BC gap. I mean, you look at those runs last week from LaShawn Williams. He had his best carries right through the middle of the offensive line. And yeah. That touchdown run that he had, I mean, Hayden Large, the door transfer, had a big block at behind the line of scrimmage. And then you have Rusty Feth, Logan Jones, and Connor Colby clearing the pass. So that interior of the offensive line has been really, really good. I mean, Logan Jones still has his moments here and there. You knew that was going to happen. But I think from a just perspective of putting together plays and putting together drives, obviously some of the misses are going to be really magnified by the fans, really magnified by social media and, you know, in film, some of those misses, if he's not able to get to the defensive lineman to the, you know, second level quick enough or, you know, reach on certain blocks, that's yeah. going to be highlighted really, really uh, heavily from social media and, you know, everyone, all critics out there. But 
just the adjustments that they've been able to make over the last weeks. And I know people gave Kirk Ferentz a lot of crap for this, you know, over the last couple of years, talking about the offensive line. But experience does matter. Experience plays a huge role. Like last year when people were calling for George Barnett's head, it's like, dude, you're – I mean, I know people gave Ferentz so much, so much flack for this. And media members too, I know a lot of frustration about that. But – experience is the main thing like you got to have experience and you're playing you're going up against defensive linemen most often more often than not especially the really good ones you're going up against guys that have been in the league for two to three years or have been you know big role players for two to three years and you're just in your first year you're just getting starting snaps so that experience goes a long way. And I know people are a lot, you know, yeah. people are ready to call for a coach's head after every game. But, I mean, it's a whole body of work that you got to put into it. I mean, the offense, I mean, that's another discussion for another day as a whole. But I think the offensive line, you got to look at it. It's experience, man. Like, experience is so critical. No, and you're right. I mean, that's something when you think about some of the top players from previous recruiting classes, Sean, that you thought were going to be prominent players. There have been guys who have medically retired. There have been a lot of injuries. There's been a lot of attrition. There's been so many different components. I mean, Connor Colby, it seems like Kirk apologizes every time he brings him up because he said, you know, with all due respect to Connor, he probably shouldn't have played that early, but he was forced to play him that early. And then he moves him around from tackle to guard, back to tackle, and then says, you know what, we're going to put him back at guard finally. And it seems like he's really, really started to pick up where we kind of thought he would be at in that level. So it's been interesting there. But I want to use this as a transition to flip to this offense. And right now, Sean, what do they do? I mean, they're down so many weapons. There's no doubt that P.J. Fleck and teams ahead of them now are going to be stacking the box beyond belief. I mean, let's keep this in perspective. I know people don't want to hear the offensive stats, but we need to present them when we talk about this. Luke Lachey has been out since the first quarter of Iowa's third game. He is second on the team in receptions and second on the team in yards. There is no wide receiver that has more than, I believe, 86 yards. None of them have double-digit catches. There are three wide receivers that have catches all season long. Both of Iowa's top tight ends are out. As an Ostranga, it sounds like he's going to play this weekend. And I know you've been high on him. There have been a lot of people behind the scenes that have been high on him. But he hasn't played that much. You don't have your starting quarterback. Where does Iowa go in the passing offense to keep anybody honest? Is it establishing the run and forcing to take some down-the-field shots? Where if it's a turnover, guess what? They're still very, very deep in their own territory, and it won't be costly. Do you throw the ball to your fifth string tight end often? Do you do running backs out of the backfield, take pressure off Deacon Hill? I I know people want to clown on Brian, and I think there's been a lot of rightful criticism about Brian. I don't think his play calling has been that bad recently. And number two is what exactly does he have to work with at this point, given all the injuries and all the attrition? Where do you go? What, What do you want to see, Sean? When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, I mean, offensively, it's like you just got to do with what you got. And Steven Stilianos, I know he played at Lafayette, which is an FCS program, but he has experience being a receiving. I mean, he's brought in for his run blocking mainly, and that's kind of where he's been the focal point when either I was going like 13 or 14 personnel. That's where he's kind of seen his most shine, but – He's, he has experience in the passing game. You got to get him the football. Tight ends are still going to be a focal point for Iowa. Obviously, we would love to see the wide receiver involvement. And I think there's going to come a game where Iowa is going to have to get the ball to their wide receivers to make plays or get something happening. But at this point, it's kind of like if Wisconsin didn't solve Iowa's offense, I mean, 
they did. I mean, Iowa didn't had those. I think it was like a six span, like six drives where they had like three yards. Three yards, yeah. Over the course of that, it's a game by game thing because if you're going up against, if the defense is doing, I, I mean, looking at the rest of the schedule, I think the defense is capable of doing what it did against Wisconsin yeah. the rest of the season. And I think you just kind of got to rely maybe on your defense to be your offense, which is a risky strategy. And But if you can get the run game going like you did against Wisconsin, even with teams packing the box, I think you're going to find success. I mean, yes, it's going to be tough, but that's why you have three running backs that have different running styles that can give you something. And I think you you have tight ends that you feel good enough about to get them the ball in certain spots and open things up and take what the defense gives you, you have wide receivers that need to catch the football if the ball is thrown yeah. that way. Deacon Hill doesn't have the best accuracy. We've seen that. But if you're a wide receiver and you get the ball right on the numbers, you got to catch that football. People talk about, you know, wide receiver blocking, a lot of the criticism with Iowa not getting the ball to its wide receivers. But – if you're a wide receiver, you got to catch the football, plain and simple. There, yeah, and, there have been a lot of drops issues for sure, and I think that's not been an overlooked point. But, like, that's why Deacon says he has full trust in them, Sean. But in, in the moment, you know, if he hesitates for a moment, that moment might pass, and you aren't going to be able to get the ball to them at that point. But on top of that, too, I mean, if you touch it, you catch it. And, and But the thing is, Deacon also needs to have a little bit of touch. I mean, we've talked a lot about how he played water polo growing up, right? The reason why he has such a powerful arm, Sean, is because sometimes when he throws the ball downfield and even across the middle, he almost acts like he's throwing a like he's playing water polo. There's no touch, and he's throwing it as hard as he can. And that's something that has taken you know a receiving group that already has drop issues in the first place, and kind of amplifying that as well. Right, and I mean I know people aren't going to want to hear it, but. If you get one offensive touchdown, I think, against Minnesota, I think you have a pretty good chance of winning if you're Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know we'll talk about the Minnesota later, but just the way things have gone, if Iowa gets a at least one offensive touchdown in their next – in every one of their five games, I mean, they should win the next five games. I mean, Nebraska is – it's hit or miss, but Nebraska hasn't totally impressed me this year. Um, but, I mean, hey, if you I mean, make – looking, just looking at the opponents, if, I mean, outside the Big Ten championship game, if Iowa gets to that point, one offensive touchdown. And, I mean, I know people are going to say, oh, the defense can't withstand it. But, I mean, we've seen that this year outside of Penn State. Who's the toughest remaining game on the schedule for you? I, I'm between two right now. Yeah, I mean, um, let me go game by game. Minnesota is is tough, but I don't think that's the toughest. Northwestern at, is not good, but that Wrigley Field like environment's going to be a little different, I think. Um, and then who's at Rutgers? Rutgers has had its moments, but and the Gavin Wimsack can be good, but. I don't know. I think that I think last I think it's going to be similar to last year's game a little bit. Um, I mean, I think it's Nebraska just based on or I mean, I missed Illinois. I think if Illinois plays how it did against Maryland. That's going to be tough. And I mean, Caden Feagan is probably the next Braylon Allen in the Big Ten. So he's going to be a load he's to bring dog. down. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, Nebraska, I think based on the potential circumstances, I know I've seen this on Twitter, based on the potential circumstances with Nebraska, I mean, what's their record now? Are they, they have two or three wins? They're 500. They're 500. I believe they're so three they and three, yeah. Three and three. <clears throat> the potential for that to either be, to be both Nebraska making it to a bowl game if they win that game, and also – So let, let, let's go, let's go on Nebraska's schedule. Let's go Nebraska's schedule because I know where you're going with this. Uh, if, if Nebraska beats Iowa, they can be bowl eligible. That's where you're going with it, right? Yeah. Right. Okay, so, so Nebraska – also to, yeah. ruin, to ruin Iowa's mm-hmm. chances at Big Ten West or at least, you know, hurt their chances. 
So Northwestern Nebraska, I'll I think that's a coin toss. I mean, I'll give the slight edge to Nebraska probably. Puts them at four and three for me. Purdue Nebraska, coin toss again. Sure, I'll put four and four. Michigan State. Then they have Maryland, Wisconsin. I, they could be playing for their seventh win, dude. I think I think they could have six wins before Iowa. Like, the, the conference and their matchups are so bad, though, too. But the other aspect of this, and maybe I'm completely overplaying this when it comes to the Nebraska game. But, by the way, I'm between Rutgers and Nebraska. I don't buy Illinois right now. Um, I think Iowa's defense can withstand them. And Rutgers, I, I don't think it's a bad football team, but they're better than they've been. But I'll call my shot now, man. I think Cooper DeGene scores against Nebraska. I don't know if it's a pick six. I don't know if it's a punt return. But remember, he got knocked out in that first quarter. And you know Cooper is as competitive as they come. He doesn't really talk a lot, but just his nature. I think that's going to be a personal kind of game for him where he could potentially solidify his Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year case in that game. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. But, you know, again, you go back to this Iowa offense. I, they just got to take care of business. I think the one offensive touchdown, I think you're completely right. I mean, the, the crazy part, too, is, Sean, Iowa did not take a red zone snap against Wisconsin. I think Chad Weisko yeah, tweeted is. that out, and it's, it's insane <laughs> with what's I mean, happening it's, right now I, with this team. I think I said that game was going to be – 2021-esque I think it was yeah 2021-esque where yeah it never really felt like Iowa was going to get good field position and get like good you know they just need a big play and they needed something to happen and you know Iowa made that one big play that really changed the momentum of the game and I mean at the end of the day football is it's a simple I mean it's a simple game because field position is so important and I know it's not the sexy way but I've seen more people start to just think this way that you just got to embrace it, man. You just got to embrace the way that Iowa finds a way to win win games. And I know people are going to say, oh, it's not going to happen next year with the Big Ten West going away. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. But I think you just got to embrace it this year and for what it is. I mean, Iowa is just doing what they need to do to win football games. And you look at it this way, it's just even more impressive that they're doing it probably without their three best offensive players, Cade, Luke, and Eric, Yeah, which makes – I mean, Eric obviously more recent, but still, like, if they do that, like, th- that's a heck of a – that's a heck of a year. It's been very interesting. And, and by the way, I want to conclude the offensive talk about this and I want to transition to our, our next topic. People are complaining about – Iowa, the way they kind of finished the game against Wisconsin, I had no issue with it. I don't think anybody should. Because talking to Kirk postgame, he said it without saying it. Deacon Hill did not throw a pass for the final 19 minutes of that football game, Sean. They were running the ball. Wisconsin was stopping them. You know, whatever. Kirk knew, and I think everybody knew, they were not going to score on that Iowa defense. With Brayden Locke was not leading a touchdown drive. Braylon Allen had a couple of nice runs here or there, but he was dinged up. But Iowa's defense was so locked in at that point. Sebastian Castro played the best game of his career, in my opinion. Jay Higgins had 13 tackles. It doesn't matter if they know what you're going to do if you already have that lead and they can't move the ball on you. Like, Iowa was subtly flexing its muscles. And, again, I know people are upset about Brian lack of play calling. Why take unnecessary risks by throwing the ball downfield when the passing game just hasn't been there in that situation? I think he did the right thing. And I think people need to just kind of like take a step back. I know Brian's an easy target in a lot of different ways, but they handled that game just to finish it out. I thought in the best possible way, because you you don't want to put pressure on Deacon Hill at this point until he can prove throughout the course of the game that the passing game is going to be there. Right, and I think that's a similar strategy that I was going to do the rest of the year. And, I mean, playing in the Big Ten West October and November, those conditions are going to be very anti-passing, passing passing the football. 
So I think it's going to be much of the same, especially as you get those three running backs back. And if you can continue to get what you can from that offensive line, then, I mean, hey, just run the football down their throats and, you know, maybe be maybe do something a little dangerous from time to time. But I mean, if your defense is playing the way it is in the run game, can get those one or two big runs, maybe two or three big runs per game, potential touchdown runs. You know, you can rely on that. It's a risky strategy, but, I mean, Iowa's found a way to use it to their advantage the last couple of weeks, and I think you just got to keep riding it. Dude, I call Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, powered by the 24-7 Sports Network. A couple more topics here, Sean, that I want to get to. I know we've kind of teased a little bit of the Minnesota preview. I know we've been a very Iowa-centric focusing right now. I do have a couple strategies and a couple things, a couple keys to the game in Minnesota I talk about uh, before we get into our last couple topics. But number one, this Minnesota team right now is just, they're not that good. I mean, their offense is meh. Their defense, I think, is good, but Athen Kalik Manis has not panned out the way you know a lot of people thought he was going to. He's still early in his career, and he can make some throws. Uh, but there's something that I've really noticed uh, throughout the past couple weeks, especially when he plays against good defenses, Sean. And I think this is something that I was going to do. They're going to try to bait him. I mean, Michigan had two pick sixes against him. Cooper DeGene, I think this is a prime game for him to have a pick six if he can bait him into a comeback route uh, for Minnesota. And I think if you're Iowa, you have to look to stop the run first and foremost. They have a couple of young running backs that have done a nice job this season in Minnesota. You know, their offensive line, they do what they do well. Uh, but Iowa has to make App and Kelly Manis beat him through the air. And if that's the case, I, I think Iowa could come up with a couple takeaways. Um, so, again, I think you're relying a lot on your defense. But given the environment, given the circumstances, I don't think it's that bad of a strategy because Minnesota has not been overly impressive to me on the offensive end. So I would keep a very, very close eye on either Jamari Harris, Sebastian Castro, or Cooper DeGene getting a pick six in this one. Yeah, and I think a pick six is going to be – if Iowa can get a pick six and another turnover, I think this this game plays right into their hands. And, I mean, it's not going to be pretty. We've been used to that. It's not going to be pretty. It's gonna. I think I had it as like a 17-7 game. Um, but I really like that matchup for Iowa defensively against Minnesota's offense. I think they play right into Iowa's hand. And Minnesota has a really good running back that's expected to be back. Darius Taylor, a true freshman, yeah. a guy who – if you follow Iowa football recruiting closely, was a top target for Iowa in that 2023 class, was a top guy on the board, ended up going to Minnesota, which, I mean, hey, you can't blame him. Minnesota has had a pretty good pretty good record of running backs in recent years, especially Mo Ibrahim. And Kirk said it this week that Ibrahim probably had the ran the best that any running back has ran against the Iowa defense during his time yeah. in Iowa City. So Taylor, if he's back, if he's full go, he can give Iowa some issues. I mean, he's not Braylon Allen type build, but he's pretty quick, can make you miss in a phone booth, you know, that type of guy, pretty elusive, has had some pretty big games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the passing game. I mean, I think Calic Manis, he's had a couple good games, but it's mainly been against non-conference foes. I think in five of the six games that Minnesota has played this year, he's thrown a touchdown – or he's thrown an interception. And I think if Iowa can exploit that, you know, potentially two, three – interceptions maybe then you know they're in really good hands and and it also depends on where they get those interceptions because obviously the offense yes they've had big plays but we need to see them maybe put a long drive together I think if Iowa can get a pick six or an interception an offensive touchdown and you know maybe one or two long offensive drives probably two that lead to points I don't really see an avenue where Minnesota can win this game just yeah. based on what Iowa can do in those two phases of the game, defense and special teams. And talking to Kelvin Belte, I think I brought this up earlier, but he mentioned Minnesota's won the battle of the line of scrimmage past two or three years, uh, two of three years. And that's something that's been a big emphasis in practice. And Kelvin did acknowledge that this is a very tough, like it's just in terms of physical strength, it's such a tough back-to-back to play against Wisconsin and Minnesota back-to-back weeks. Minnesota is fresh off a of bye week as well, so they've had some time to really sit back and digest this and come up with a really big strategy. And I think if you're P.J. Fleck, reading between the tea leaves, Sean, and, and kind of you know a little bit in the University of Minnesota, the 
coverage over the past few months, there's nothing that Minnesota fans want more than to beat Iowa. I mean, this has been the big one of the big red flags of the PJ Fleck era in Minneapolis is they have not, he has not been able to defeat Kirk Ferentz yet. So that's something that they're really going to be motivated for. But again, I think Iowa's defensive line is going to be up for the challenge. And you know, something else we haven't brought we got to see how many snaps YA Black's going to play. I mean, that's a guy who was in a sling post Wisconsin, and there was some talk right after Sean that he wouldn't even be able to come back until after the bye week. And I believe Y.A. is one of the only Minnesota, if not the only Minnesota native on this Iowa roster, which makes it even more interesting. But Y.A. is a tough kid. He's a very, very big kid. And from what I've been told, he's basically told the staff that he wants to play in this game. Like, he's not going to be held out. Uh, it was interesting talking to Kelvin that Y.A. did not practice today. Uh, but Kelvin also said, you know, I didn't see Joe Evans practice until a Saturday morning when he was warming up for the game against Wisconsin. So Joe Evans missed all of last week as well. But, you know, why is a big force in the trenches? Obviously, you'd like to get Noah Shannon back. I know you've heard some things behind the scenes about how good he's been in practice. Kelvin echoed that today as well. And if he does come back, I think we can see a Deontay Craig breakout, you know, final month of the season. Because I still think he's going to have a game where he just kind of explodes uh, from that defensive end spot. So, if Iowa can shut down that – not shut down, but at least limit that Minnesota running game and you put the pressure on Athen Kelly Manis, I do not see an avenue, a realistic avenue, where Minnesota wins this game. And talking to Ryan Burns for a Minnesota site as well, if you look at some of the more advanced analytics with this Iowa-Minnesota matchup, Iowa's got the highest-rated special teams in the Big Ten. Minnesota has the worst. So if Cooper DeGene gets the ball in the punt return and he makes the first guy miss – I mean, he, we've seen it happen time and time again, Sean. He can make something special happen in space. Yeah, it's not even Cooper returning something in special teams. It's Iowa gets a couple big punts, puts Minnesota in a real bad position. Yeah. Iowa gets a safety, something on there, pick six right in there, you know, deep in Minnesota territory. Um, Iowa gets a block punt. Minnesota has bad punt, you know, kind of stuff like that. And Minnesota misses a field goal. Little things like that make a huge difference. And I know Ryan Burns has been – Burnsy has been really critical of the the Minnesota special teams. And that could be another area where we really didn't highlight that much, that Iowa could really have an advantage and play into their hands. I mean, there's been so many games where that's happened. But, I mean, look at Nebraska, Iowa a couple of years ago. Like, that game yeah. turned because Iowa special teams play. Um, there's been so many other examples. But this feels like a real game where LeVar Woods is a major advantage on – on this Minnesota team. So give me your, give me your final prediction. We'll get to our last couple of topics here before we wrap this up. You said it was around a 17 to seven type game. Yeah, I'm going with 17, seven. Um, honestly, I think it could be a one, one score game too. Maybe 17, 10, maybe 14, 10, something on those lines. I mean, the under is <laughs> going to hit. I mean, I know yeah. people will never, never gamble on the over-under with Iowa football, but just got a feeling that the owners are going to hit. I haven't looked at the weather conditions for Saturday yet either, but I think it's I haven't looked a in a couple days. Warmer. Okay. I think it's supposed to be a little warmer than people. Uh, 63 is the high with some sun. So, I mean, nothing crazy, but – so, I mean, I'll go with – I'll go with 1710. I'll be, I'll be dangerous. You know, it's crazy, too. We I meant to bring this up earlier. Over-under, I think, is currently at 32-and-a-half, which is, like, tied for the lowest in the past couple decades or so. And I think six of the yeah. last seven, like, 33-and-under games or 34-and-under games, like, Iowa's been a participant in at this point. But I'm with you, man. I I, I picked 16-10. to 10. I don't really want to say that Iowa's defense puts them in single digits, but I also think it's – and I'll get into this in a second. It's going to be a 16 to 10 dominant win for Iowa. Like, it's not going to be pretty, but if you use the eye test and just watch how much Iowa controls the game, I think it'd be pending an upset. Like, a six point win for Iowa is like a 20 point win for, I think, most other teams across the country. Maybe at least a two score game. I mean, that's just the way that they've kind of been riding all year long. So I have Iowa winning. I said if they beat Wisconsin, I'd be back on board. So at this point, I'm just kind of back on board. Their schedule's horrible. They can only play teams in front of them. 
Which leads me into our final football topic before we end off with some recruiting stuff from you. And I have my own expanded thoughts about this, Sean, but I don't think I've ever asked you on or off the record. What do you think drives – like, what about Iowa football drives the casual football fan nuts and has made Iowa – I don't want to say a meme or a punchline from the national media. Is it simply the contract of Brian Ferentz? Is it the family dynamic? Is it the style that Iowa plays? I'm curious what your kind of thoughts are about that. I mean, I think the family dynamic probably amplifies it a little bit more and that this has been going on for the last couple of years, probably since the end of the Stanley era. Um, this has kind of yeah. been a, a running trend. And obviously there's been some misses in terms of valuation at the quarterback position with a couple of guys and offensive line. Play. I mean, you look at that 2019 offensive line recruiting class and none of those guys really panned out. And that was probably going to be a pretty big class for Iowa. Um, you look at 2020, at the top of my head, I mean, Mason Richmond was the only one that really seemed to pan out from that group. I mean, you had Josh Volk that ended up going to uh, Northern Iowa. Um, yep. He battled injuries throughout his career. Uh, there were a couple other guys, too, that, I mean, it's crazy. 2020 feels so long ago. Um, obviously you have Logan Jones, but remember he was a defensive lineman that Correct. went to the offensive line. So that's obviously something that, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at a little bit and Tyler Ellsbury. I mean, he's been, you know, here in there with that offensive line rotation, but he hasn't really, you know, kind of busted through. I mean, maybe he's the guy when Logan Jones leaves at that center position, but remember they're in the same class. So, who knows yeah. at that point? So we'll see. I mean, I think it's kind of been, you know, the misses that have happened. I think you got you're getting a lot more hits with this uh, with these couple of recruiting classes that Iowa has coming in um, with this 2021 class. I mean, those guys played early, like the 2020. Like, I mean, you look at uh, Connor Colby. I mean, he's playing a big role. Um, Bo Stevens, he's up there too. Uh, a number of other guys too, you know, Jennings Dunker, I keep forgetting he was in that group. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so you're getting guys that are competing early and guys that are, you know, making roles earlier, probably than earlier than expected. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, kind of, I guess people have been wondering, you know, what, what it is. And, you know, like I said, I think it's some evaluations here or there that have been misses and, you know, injuries and bad luck. But I just think that dynamic of probably the, the family thing is is throwing a lot of people off and, you know, makes kind of Iowa an easy punchline for a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I think the contract incentive obviously did Iowa no favors. The drive to 325, you go across any platform or any anybody that covers sports, you're going to see people that have their own quote-unquote original take. And I know Iowa fans have said it's beating a dead horse. It's really not because we. this is one of the more interesting storylines I think we've seen in the past decade. But here's where Iowa fans get so upset when it comes to the national media's coverage of this. One, yes, the offense is bad, but Iowa is well aware that it's bad. Now, I think if Iowa loses to Wisconsin, I think the temperature of the fan base goes in the complete opposite direction, Sean, right? They're, they're ticked off. You know, There's been fire Brian chance at every single home game this year. Like, Iowa fans are well aware of where they're at. And some people in the national media, some casual football fans, for some reason believe that Iowa fans aren't self-aware of that. The stats don't lie. But at the same time, Iowa continues to find ways to win. Everybody only focuses on the offense. Iowa fans want – you know, Iowa fans, are, they're a proud fan base. They want people to talk about their defense. Well, what about Jay Higgins with 87 tackles? Second most in nation. What about Cooper DeGene, who's going to be a future first-round draft pick, potential Big Ten player, uh, defensive player of the year? What about, you know, Nick Jackson's emergence? What about Torrey Taylor, who I think is arguably Iowa's MVP throughout the season, the way he's able to flip the field? It's a three-phase game, and when you water down Iowa so much to only focus on the offense – it does get annoying because Iowa, you would think by the way people talk about Iowa that they're one and six and not six and one. And when we're in such a highly driven culture, 
USC's defense is as bad as Iowa's offense. But USC is incredibly flashy on offense in terms of social media, in terms of, you know, Sports Center, CBS Sports HQ. They all want highlights. Great defense is not sexy. It's for f- football purists only. The casual fans are not attracted to that. They want to see the 75-yard downfield where the cornerback ends up tripping up. Nobody talks about how bad the coverage was. They only talk about how great the throw and the catch was. Iowa's defense is so fundamentally sound. Iowa does some special things on special teams. You would not be aware of that because everybody focuses on the offense. Now, where Iowa's at, because they won, Iowa fans are embracing the suck. They're aware of who they are, and a big reason why Iowa sits at 6-1 and one right now is because that Iowa locker room is not delusional. They know their limitations, and they're doing what they can to find a way to win the game, and that's a credit to the leadership. That's a credit to Iowa staying the course, and that's a credit to LeVar Woods and Phil Parker and Kirk Ferentz for still ultimately running the ship. And the other part of the 325, Sean, that everybody gets so upset about it feels like nobody's mentioned the injuries. Yeah, Iowa was not great before, but like we've mentioned countless times throughout this podcast, Iowa has been missing several several of their top playmakers and top talents on offense, and they're still winning games. So I think when you kind of throw all that into a pot, I think that's why people are mad about Iowa right now. Get on with no, it. No, I'll say. <laughs> Get on with no, man. So we'll wrap this up. Uh, with It was almost a surprise commitment, Sean, on during the crossover at Kinnick, which I'm going to continue to write about here over the next couple of weeks leading up to the women's basketball season. The high three, Burke Goucher committed to Iowa during the crossover at Kinnick. I'll tell you, man, Seth Wallace and that Iowa defensive group has have to be so happy. I mean, they're getting their top targets. There's a lot of really good potential playmakers in there. You wrote a couple stories on. Um, give us the the down low on on Burke. Yeah, I mean you're not going far to get some of these guys. I mean, looking at this 2022 class, I mean, yeah, 2022 Landon Van Kiekerks from Northwest Iowa. 2023, you have all these guys within probably hour and a half radius of each other in Eastern Iowa, and then 2020, I mean 2025, you get Burke Goucher from Illinois, from Sycamore, Illinois, which. I mean, me being an Illinois guy, having to drive, you know, I-80 from the suburbs of Chicago to uh, Iowa City, um, Sycamore is right on the way. And it's a pretty – that 45 minutes from my house to – my parents' house to Sycamore, like, hour span, feels like the longest drive ever just because, like, you're like, I need – it just it just feels – if yeah, I know a lot of people that have listened to this podcast have probably made that drive before, but – you get the gist, but I mean, yeah, I mean Burke doesn't have listed at six foot two, uh, two hundred pounds. Doesn't have any linebacker experience uh, in high school. Plays actually quarterback and safety for Sycamore, which I mean, a lot of people are going to look at him and be like the Cooper DeGene starter pack, and obviously he's not the type of impact that Cooper DeGene has. But he's a guy yeah. that I was really high on, and pairing him with that twenty twenty four linebacker class. Um, that's going to be a pretty stacked linebacker room. Now he's got to get a little more molded in certain aspects of the linebacker room or playing linebacker. But I mean, that's, that should be something that he adjusts quickly. I mean, he's a pretty smart football player, intellectual guy, um, really good instincts on the football field, playing quarterback in high school can kind of help adjust to playing linebacker yeah. in college. I mean, obviously there's more that goes into it, but really good athlete all over the field. Um, Honestly, looks like he could be like a college quarterback with his throwing motion, some of the balls that he's able to throw. Um, but this is a guy that Illinois really wanted. Kind of always striked me as an early commitment, honestly, um, just kind of how Burke is. And he's always said that Iowa and Illinois were the two teams that were really making a big push for him. So that kind of furthered the evidence that, um, you know, he was he was probably going to make an early decision because he didn't seem to be in too much of a rush to, you know, get other offers. But I know Illinois not had the year that's expected, but getting yeah. a guy from uh, Illinois and getting a guy from the land of Lincoln and a guy that Brett Bolima really wanted, that's a pretty good recruiting win. And I think you got you to gotta tip your cap to the Iowa staff on that one. And this linebacker room's loading up, man. I mean, 
They're going after Dominic Hulak, a kid from uh, Immaculate Conception in Elmhurst, Illinois. He would be a really good win for Iowa. Um, Mason Woods, I know he's being recruited by Iowa's tight end, son of Iowa special teams coordinator LeVar Woods, but I think he'll eventually grow into a linebacker. Who knows at this point, but could see that happening. But I mean, even with just Burke in the room, getting him in the class, pair him with the guys in 2024 and the guys that are emerging in 2023, um, you know, you're looking at a pretty good linebacker room for the next couple of years. And that's probably one that's going to be pretty a safe bet for the next couple of years too. And just the development. So it's a big win for the staff. Um, you know, I've mentioned before, there's a couple guys I'm keeping an eye on that could be the next commits. I mean, who knows who could get an offer here soon. Uh, there always seems to be one kid that gets an offer and immediately commits on the spot. I imagine that'll be the case in this class at some point. Um, mentioned a couple of positions that I'm keeping a close eye on in the 2025 class over the next couple months. Quarterbacks, one, those dominoes always seem to fall fast. Tight ends, another. I mentioned Mason Woods. He's a guy I'm keeping an eye on. A um, couple linebackers, too. A uh, couple defensive linemen that I like Iowa for at this point, Yosei Apanessa being one of them, the five-star. Yeah. You know, not a lot going on recruiting-wise, but there's always, you know, kind of different prospects where to keep a pretty pretty close eye on. I mean, 2024 has been kind of quiet this fall, which is as expected. Iowa doesn't have a lot of spots in that class remaining. I think at most there might be one or two that they want to add, but it's still pretty quiet right there. And Obviously, the transfer portal is going to play a role, but you know, it yep. gives us kind of a time to transition to 2025 a little bit. So it's been a could be could be a fruitful next couple of months. So keep your keep your nose to the ground with that kind of stuff. I was going to say during the bye week as well, we'll probably hear about you know coaches visiting games and, and a little bit maybe more yeah, picked up. I on imagine the we'll see a lot of well. yeah. I imagine they'll see a lot of commits throughout the throughout the week. So that'll probably be the focus. And there's not a lot of guys in this class. I mean, obviously last year, Caden Proctor, there was talk about him flipping. And obviously there's a big story that Kirk and Brian, I think it was, went to Southeast Polk. I don't, there's yeah. really not anyone in the class right now that, you know, seems flippable at this point. You Rashad Godfrey has gotten a couple offers, but he seems to be all in with Iowa. Um, I imagine that Kellen Bell will go down to Texas for Shima Shinike. It was a big win yeah. for the staff. Um, you know, there's it shouldn't be too busy of a bye week, but they'll be on the road for sure. So Sean's got a bunch of recruiting stuff there at HawkeyeInsider.com. Hope you all enjoyed this new look. Excited to keep this going forward. And we're going to have plenty of preview coverage and recap of Iowa, Minnesota. Then also stay tuned Sunday. The Iowa women have their big exhibition against Clark. We get another extended look at what now the number three Iowa women's hoops team uh, will bring throughout the season. And of course, the men will get started here sometime soon. So stay locked in to HawkeyeInsider.com.